Welcome everyone to the Take It Home Podcast. I'm your host, John LaRocca. And on today's episode, it's going to be a fun episode. I'm going to talk about my top six guilty pleasures in professional wrestling. Um, originally, it was a top five, but uh, today on Twitter, actually, Jeff Hawkins mentioned John Tatum and that brought up a lot of memories. So I'm like, oh man, I got to maybe expand this list, but I didn't want to go too long with the show because honestly, I could have had a top 20 of guilty pleasures in professional wrestling, but I wanted to keep it, you know, to a top five, but I decided to go one extra. So it's a top six, John LaRocca's guilty pleasures of professional wrestling. Um, I recently watched a movie. I'm going to talk about what movie that was when I get to my number one. And it kind of just brought back uh, some wacky characters. And I started thinking about other wrestlers that I liked growing up. And a lot of people would kind of say they weren't good or they would bash them or they couldn't stand that person. Um, and and there's a, a couple of people on this list I still see. When I see comments on, you know, old stuff and they're like, oh, these guys are horrible. I couldn't stand it. I'm like, man, they're so entertaining to me. And so I want to honor them and talk about them. And and I know there's a lot of fans out there listening now that, that, that has their own guilty pleasures of professional wrestling. People that, you know, always are kind of people are always giving the thumbs down to. But you're like, you know what? To me, I, I enjoy watching them in the ring and watching their characters. So I really do want to hear some feedback on uh on uh, your favorite guilty pleasures in pro wrestling. Um, he's not on my list because I don't, I don't consider him a guilty pleasure because I still think he's, he was a, a major, you know, he's a major star in wrestling, was a major star in wrestling. You know, Total Package Lex Luger is one of my all-time favorite wrestlers. He was the guy that really hooked me into professional wrestling. I talked about him um, a few weeks ago when they, the WWF did their, excuse me, WWE <laughs> did their, uh, uh, biography on the A&E special and I uh, talked about all that how you know Lex Luger really got me into professional wrestling so he's always in my top 10 of favorite professional wrestlers and so a lot, a lot of people just don't like Lex Luger they always bash him or they only know stuff from his later years when he wasn't he was honestly really mailing it in or there's that there's that uh uh promo he did at some indie show where he's obviously not in the right state of mind and and just couldn't get a shirt off so a lot of like these younger fans just know lex like that so um it it's but he's a tremendous talent uh it was a major star a uh, big part of the of the money at wars and you know he deserves a lot a lot of respect honestly he does because he was a good worker and a good talent so uh so again this is my top six Guilty pleasures of professional wrestling. And before I get that, before I get to this list, and I'm I'm really excited to talk about this. These guys, um, just because I love them, they crack me up, or I enjoy the work. Um, one of its actual uh, program, a feud that um, I really enjoyed watching growing up. So we'll talk about that. But before that, I want to talk about the Fight Game Media Plus Patreon. Uh, $5 a month, and you get a ton, tons of great content um, every day. We have, like Gary Gonzalez and I, we just recorded our Raw 98 uh, podcast, your review of the Monday Night Raw, 
And it was a show recently from San Jose that Garrett and I were both live at that featured Ken Shamrock versus Stone Cold Steve Austin in their first ever match. And this crowd was on fire. It was hot. And it was like they came through. They came through, WWE did, with a great, great show. Um, there's also a, a special on uh, uh, Mike on the Mike TV show, Mike Tyson TV show on Hulu that Garrett Gonzalez is doing right now. Um, there's the uh, the five star Joshi show with uh, with Scott. There's the Dynamite show with Pat with Paul Fontaine and Jeff Hawkins and those guys is just just oh man they they I'm just entertained right listen to that show. A lot of times our 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 uh, our views on AEW is completely different, but that's what I like about it. I love hearing different opinions on something and and they they're so entertaining. Mike Gilbert, Jay Leva, the Brace for Impact show. We got Write That Down with Fumi Sayudu and Justin Nipper. We got you know, covering Japanese wrestling history. Um, we got MA covered. We got boxing covered. All this for $5 a month. How can you go wrong? You go, We got your fight game covered for just $5 a month. So give us a shot on our Patreon. Uh, I think you're going to enjoy it. I think you're going to stick around. You know, you may uh, cut cut back on that one Starbucks coffee this month. Maybe cut back on uh, that breakfast sandwich you're gonna get in the morning before work. Maybe maybe pre do some uh, prep meals, you know, so you don't have to go uh, do those quick buys uh, in the morning. You know, and save that five dollars and put it towards Fight Gay Media Plus. I like I said, I think you're gonna stick around. I think you're gonna love it because we got tons and tons of great content on our patreon and it's at such a such a low price unbelievable all right let's get into this top six i laughed i mean, just laugh because originally i'm like i have a plan it's gonna be top five and then this conversation happens on twitter with jeff hawkins and i'm just like it threw me i'm like okay scratch everything new list top six I basically added one extra person. I didn't really, I didn't really rip too much papers or anything. But yeah, you know, I kind of did place things a little, a little bit around. So, uh, but let's get to it. top six guilty pleasures of professional wrestling for me. And number one, uh, sorry, number six. Excuse me. We're talking. We're talking from the bottom to the top. We're gonna work our way to the top. It is the Eric Embry versus Devastation Incorporated feud in 1989 world class in 1989 uh world class of course was just struggling 87 was whew. it's all on the network and uh it's actually i enjoyed watching 87 because it's so bad and i was just so intrigued like who the, the talent they were booking and what they're trying to do to build interest. And it just wasn't there. It just wasn't there. 88, I thought got a little better. Um, Iceman King Parson was on fire as a heel. Uh, they had the Freebirds feuding, carries back. Uh, and it just, it felt like there's some life back in 88. And at the end of 88, uh, Fritz sold to, to Jerry Jarrett. And there was a change in booking, and Eric Embry became the booker. And this program between Eric Embry versus Devastation Incorporated gets a lot of flack from a lot of fans because, oh, he's the booker, and he's putting himself over and making himself the star. And and I get that. like, But what booker hasn't done that that's an actual active wrestler? You know, Dusty Rhodes, you know, perfect example. But he was a major star. 
Eric Embry gets a lot of flack because, you know, he was a, a really talented mid-card junior heavyweight heel or tag team specialist kind of heel. Um, I really enjoyed his tag team with Ken Timms. And also he had a, yeah, even in that those dark days of 87, his uh, tag team with Frankie Lancaster had a lot of a lot of potential. Um, but so he's like this short, stocky guy. And he turns baby face. He has the, he had the dye blonde hair. Now he has the dark hair, the beard. Percy Pringle, who's a heel manager, turns baby face. Um, you know, Frank Dusick is the uh, world class commissioner, and I thought he did. I thought he was great in that role. You know, as a kid, at least I'm like, oh, this guy's the boss, right? He's the guy that makes all the rules, and like he to me, he had the credibility. And then there was you know this Japanese conglomerate conglomerate tojo yamamoto heading it coming to buy world class so the evil japanese is gonna buy the beloved world class and there's uh eric Embry to stop him and to me it was just entertaining television week to week uh i couldn't get enough of it i just really enjoyed everything that they were doing um cactus jack this is the first time i saw cactus jack and I was just so amazed by him. He had a tag team with Gary Young, another guy I can probably, if I had a list of like top 10, top 20 guilty pleasure in wrestling, it would be he, Gary Young, gorgeous Gary Young would be on it because I just got a kick out of him too. I thought he was a pretty talented guy that never got a break in a major promotion. Like, I don't think he would go to the WWF because there had a Rick Rude who was, you know, just jacked and just, you know, a better overall talent, but I thought Gary Young in a, in a tag team situation would have worked in WCW, but he just never, he just stayed kind of local within Texas. And, you know, they, when they were doing the Memphis and Texas feud, he would go up to Memphis, do some shots there um, with, with Cactus Jack. And this feud was, I think it was what, what world-class needed. Like the Von Erich stuff was, they were popular, but the fans needed something new. And I don't, I don't think this obviously set business on fire, but it gave life to a television show, in my opinion. Um, there was, I, I, you know, I never forget this. I think it was they beat up Embry so bad he started vomiting on the, in the ring. It was it was nutty stuff. Uh, Everything, always something was happening. It you know it was never a dull sh- dull show. I think there was a, uh, I think it was when they brought Py Chuhai. And this was insane, and this is part of the reason why I loved this feud. Py Chuhai was like the big gun that Tojo Yamamoto had from Japan, <laughs> but Py Chuhai was Phil Hickerson from Henderson, Tennessee, right? Or uh, I think it's from Henderson, Tennessee. Just a badass Southern boy. But but now he's P.Y. Chuhai. He got a little paint on his eyes that make it squinty. I know this is really like, cringy stuff looking back at it now, I guess. But even as a kid, I was like, he does not look Japanese. I didn't know at the time who Phil Hickson was. So I had no, no idea who that was. But I just saw, this guy's not Japanese. But, you know, quickly... Because he's such a good worker. Phil Hickerson did a great job with it. Got P.Y.H.E. over as a threat. They did a great job bringing him in. Beating guys quickly with that DDT. And there was a... Uh, they did like a... 
it was very rare at the time. Like you, you didn't just see this a lot on these on WCW at the time or um or uh, WWF. They had a camera set up to do like you know some uh, pre-tape interviews and the camera set up, and then all of a sudden like you see Embry getting tacked with the kendo stick and the camera's just capturing it all like at a frame and it's just some cool 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 stuff and of course it's all built to the big match in august um where it's going to be if tojo yamamoto's py chuhai beats eric Embry in the cage match tojo yamamoto in japan would take over world class if eric Embry wins there's no more world class in the new era of uswa uh, begins and of course Eric Embry won that match and you know they went and they they, they took the classic sportatorium sign down and that was the the culmination of the feud though it did continue a little bit afterwards um but it became that that was the end of it and it was a fun eight month program and like I said really revitalized the promotion and so, even though Eric Embry, yeah, he didn't look, maybe look like this, the hero, you know, traditionally back, especially in the, in the late 80s when it was all muscle-bound dudes and giants, but it worked. It worked. Those crowds were hot for Eric Embry and, you know, his buddies versus uh, versus Devastation Incorporated. And I just, I just really enjoyed it. And um, you could find, like, this whole feud on YouTube. I think they actually kind of cut it up in the, in the the moments of the feud, but I kind of wish I'm waiting for, I don't know who owns it. I guess Jarrett owns it and I don't think he ever sold it to WWE, but I would love to see them load up 1989 world class slash USWA, or at least maybe just until that last match when it changes into USWA. Like I, I really love, I really would love to see, those shows in its entirety again. I know they'll have to edit some things out because of copyright music or whatnot, but uh, still, still, I would really enjoy seeing those shows again. So I'm all, that's what like that's what I'm waiting for to come back is is real class for 1989 to be on the network. So that's my number six: Eric Embry versus Devastation Incorporated in World Class in 1989 as um, my number six guilty pleasures. Guilty pleasure in pro wrestling. Number five guilty pleasure in pro wrestling was a guy that Jeff Hawkins brought up. And it made me really think, like, I cannot do this list without talking about this guy. Hollywood John Tatum. Man, I got a kick out of this guy. Uh, Jeff Hawkins was on Twitter. We were going back and forth talking about the tag, a very underrated tag team of of John Tatum and Jack Victory um, in... uh, UWF and also in, in world class, they were really good. Jack Victory as a he was like he's a huge guy, and because he's not muscular, I think a lot of people just don't don't, don't talk about him as a big guy, but he is a really big dude. And what a bumping machine he was at that size! Um, amazing, he was doing some amazing stuff, and they were a solid team. And <laughs> and as Jack Victory was the bumper. Uh, John Tatum was the personality, right? And he'd always get this, like, when he's getting his ass kicked or something happens or something doesn't go his way in the match, he'd get this boo-boo face, this, like, baby face. Like, not baby face as a, as a 
good guy in wrestling. I'm talking about like the baby, whiny face. Like I said, the boo-boo face, right? And it would just crack me up. My buddy, uh, Jeremy Medeiros, who I did play-by-play with in the APW long, long time ago now, um, he was also a fan of Hollywood John Tatum. And we would always talk about that boo-boo face that John Tatum would make. And it all, I always enjoyed it. I always enjoyed him. And he's another guy that kind of always stuck around the Texas area and never got a chance to go to uh, – I thought for sure he would probably end up in WCW, but maybe there was some issues there. But, I mean, I I don't know with what, or maybe he just didn't want to travel. I wouldn't understand why, because unless he had a, a side job that was making good money, I, you know, but or maybe just WCW just never wanted him. Um, but I was always entertained. Like, in Global, he had a real fun tag team with Rugged Rod Price as the Coast Canos Connection. And I thought, man, they would be a fun, again, a fun heel mid-card tag team in WCW. Uh, just there to win some match on TV, uh, put over some bay faces on, on on pay-per-view. And, and you know, just, just – and it would be a good spot for Rod Price because Rod Price came up with Steve Austin. Steve Austin obviously was the standout of those two. But Rod Price had a lot of potential. Um, he was probably – he was probably just a little bit better earlier than Steve Austin, but Steve Austin quickly just shot past him. But Price, because he wasn't a strong promo, but even Austin wasn't a strong promo at the time, Price had a potential. I just can never also understand, why didn't like WCW pick him up as well? Like I know you don't want to pick him up at the same time because you don't want like you know two blonde, muscular guys you know debuting at the same time. But you know, you 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 debut Austin in 91 and then you debut Rod Price in 92. Um, I always felt like, man, he was just too good to be just stuck in Texas. And I I remember he made a couple appearances in ECW. I think he had a tryout in WWF, I think a few times. They just never picked him up either. Um, So, but, but his tag team with John Tatum, I loved. Um, They're a solid team. And I was always look forward to their matches. They would have really fun matches with Black Bart and Wild Bill Irwin. And Wild Bill Irwin, for the longest time, I could just not stand. Like, I liked when I watched old footage of the Long Riders or the Super Destroyers when he's tagging with his brother Scott Irwin. Like, he's, I liked him there. But him as a single just kind of bored me. And, but as a tag guy, I, I didn't mind his work or, 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 but like, and with Black Bart, it just worked and they had a fun programming. Like the two Texas guys versus the two guys from quote unquote Hollywood, um, you know, Global had a really good, um, really good tag team division, kind of underrated, kind of fun, you know, and they're not, they weren't the best tag teams in the world, but you know, on that level where they were at, they had some fun matches. Um, as I mentioned earlier, Gorgeous Gary Young, another tag team I liked that he had was with the Stephen Dane, former Stephen Casey. Um, I thought Stephen, I thought they, they were called the Goodfellas. They were a, a solid team, a, a, another solid heel team that could have been, again, you know, in that mix of mid card heel tag team in WSW. I thought they could have been perfect for that. So Tatum and, and, 
was, like I said, always entertaining. Um, I enjoyed his feud in 1990 with uh, Build Superstar Bill Dundee when um, you know Jerry Jarrett was doing both Texas and Memphis. He had Bill Dundee out, and I don't want, I'm, I'm guessing Bill Dundee was probably booking Texas at that time as well. He was out there as a top bay face with Jeff Jarrett. This, uh, Texas was basically trying to be a vehicle to get you know Jeff Jarrett over as a top star, and and uh, Bill Dundee was there as a respected veteran. And John Tatum shows up with this really attractive blonde named Tessa. I mean, she was a a, a knockout. And as a kid, I'm like, whoa! <laughs> like, and I I believe that she was actually Bill Dundee's girlfriend who he met a strip club and and so they did almost like the same they kind of did like the angle where the real life storyline where john tatum was you know dating missy hyatt but then missy hyatt started seeing eddie gilbert and she went with him and then so you know they uwf played that up in on television they told that story on television they you know eddie gilbert and tatum worked together so i think dundee was trying to capture that magic and it was not as remembered, but Dundee and Tatum over Tessa was 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 a lot of fun. And once Tessa became a face, she kind of lost. I mean, she was popular with the fans, but and she was still very attractive. And I didn't mind her on my television. Just the few kind of died. But Tatum was so entertaining. He hit that wild super kick that sometimes looked good, sometimes looked like shit, but always always entertaining. So number five, Hollywood John Tatum. In my list of guilty pleasures in pro wrestling. And number four is a team, a tag team that's getting a lot, gets a lot of hate. When I, when I, go, I you know, I'm, I, I, I'm on a couple of Facebook groups that talk about classic wrestling. And um, I remember I used to be uh, really active on the uh, wrestling classics message board, the kayfabe memories message board back in the day. And, this tag team would always get a lot of flack. There'd be a couple of people be like, no, they were good and I liked them. But for the most part, people are like, ah, these guys are just poor knockoffs. And the tag team is the rock and roll RPMs, Mike Davis and Tommy Lane. I don't know what it was. The, the snaggle tooth of Mike Davis with the the bandanas and the and the and the, the flashy tights you know the rock and roll express look but they just it just looked like the cracked out version at least Mike Davis did the cracked out version of the rock and roll express and I dug it cuz like there was of course when the rock and roll express got popular in uh 1984 rock and roll express like tag team sprung up in every territory. Of course, famously the Midnight Rockers, the Rockers, Shawn Michaels, Marty Jannetty, of course. Um, but there was like the Southern Rocker, Drex King, and Steve Dahl in Portland, or even before that, it was uh, it was uh, Steve Dahl and Scott Peterson in Portland. Um, <laughs> Coast to Coast Express, the Party Boys, uh, and then also the Rock and Roll RPMs. But the Rock and Roll RPMs were were heels. So I, I, that's what I loved. I'm like, okay, these are the anti-Rock and Roll Express, right? These are the evil doppelgangers. These are the bizarros, right, of 
the Rock and Roll Express tag teams. And I just got a kick out of them. And they did have a very popular run as Bayfaces in Puerto Rico. Like, they were over in Puerto Rico as their Rock and Roll tag team. But here in the States, there are mostly heels. Um, I'm trying to think if they ever worked Babyface anywhere else in the United States. I'm sure they did. I just don't remember. Um, but what, what really got them over to me was a small, short-run promotion by Ron Fuller in Knoxville called USA Wrestling. Uh, it only lasted, I want to say, 10 months, 11 months. But the Rock and Roll RPMs were the top heel tag team in this promotion and the top bay face promotion was the party boys and now the party boys were actually it was a six-man tag team but it was scott armstrong and johnny rich and davy rich but the main feud was davy rich and johnny rich versus their rpms and that's basically the only real tag teams they had those two teams and uswa really sorry usa excuse me i always say that USA always fascinated me, their TV product did, because it was a small roster territory, and they really got a lot out of this small roster on their their hour television show. Like, I was really invested in the programs, you know, when they would start advertising their house shows or big events coming up. I was like, oh, I wish I was able to see that. I wish they filmed it. I know they're going to probably show highlights on television, but... You know, I thought the the booking was pretty solid. And it's a very underrated television show. I, and I think most of those episodes are probably up. You know, USA Wrestling for 1988, look it up. And um, the Party Boys versus Rock and, Roll, Rock and Roll RPMs was the highlight. I mean, they for 10 months, they kept this program interesting. You know, the Chase, the the Rich Brothers or Cousins or whatever they're called. I think they're supposed to be Cousins. You know, chasing the RPMs, the Tag Team Champions. And the RPMs were, were, were salt. You know, both good workers. Mike Davis, like I said, he's the one that looked like the biker guy trying to be glam rock instead of being the heavy metal, right? With the, with the you know, the bandanas and everything. But Tommy Lane, you know, he was just like the... A solid worker. He was quiet. Didn't really didn't really talk too much in the promos. Kind of was always in the background, but he was really just a smooth worker and uh, always like kind of was the glue to those matches. You know, Mike Davis was a Mike Davis was was really good. I'm not gonna knock Mike Davis as a worker. I thought he was a good talent as well. And so they made a fun tag team, and and I was just amazed by how this program for could be. To me, interesting for ten months, and so at the time, I was I haven't started booking APW. Yet. I started booking APW in two thousand eight, and just by chance, I kind of I was back then. I was always getting DVDs of wrestling because I was I just just was watching everything. Just wanted to watch all this stuff, and. I remember I saw like this the whole set USA wrestling that this gentleman had and I'm like, you know, I never seen that before. I'm going to get it. And I'm glad I did. And maybe it was the just some kind of sign because it really helped me book with a small roster. And APW had a small roster at the time. 
So it really showed me like, you know, you don't need a bunch of wrestlers. You can have, you know, a small roster and keep it interesting. And like, of course, you know, they had to do it weekly in APW time. When I first started was just, you know, just monthly. So it really helped me out a lot. And that feud, rock and roll RPMs and the party boys was a big influence. Um, and so I always feel like would be like, why, why are you guys knocking the party pool? I mean, the RPMs, like they're a good team. I always thought they should have came in the WCW 1990, the feuds rock and roll express, because I, I never forget. I was watching WCW 1990 or NWA. 1990. No, they were never in WCW yet, but, and Jim Ross just was, uh, it's world champs for wrestling. And Jim Ross is just like, and the rock and roll express are returning. Like, no big deal, no vignettes, no music video, just like they're going to show up. And I thought, I always like thought like, man, that's just been played up bigger. I mean, Rock and Roll Express is a legendary tag team. They're four-time world tag team champions, you know, and all that stuff. I thought they should have got a, a bigger a, a bigger entrance and back into the territory again. And I always thought it'd be really cool if they're like, Jim Ross is hyping it up. In two weeks, the Rock and Roll Express are going to be here. It's going to be so great to see Ricky Morton, Robert Kiston, one of the all-time great tag teams, four-time NWA World Tag Team Champions. Here's some highlights. You know, and you do, do a nice music, updated music video. You know, not going to show the, you know, it's great. You're not going to show the old, you know, stuff from uh, from Watts. Create, they got all that footage from their time in Crockett. Just cut up a nice fun new music video like and and show that like they're gonna be here in two weeks in two weeks they're gonna come the rock and roll express we're super excited to add them to this tag team division along with the steiner brothers this at the time the skyscrapers or road warriors their rivals the midnight express uh a team that's you know looking to had the same success as Ricky and Robert, Brian Pillman, Tom Zank, an exciting young tag team. You know, there's Freebirds, Doom. I mean, you could have really hyped up because they had a hell of a tag team division at the time. The Andersons. And <laughs> I would have been like, in two weeks, in two weeks, you stre- they have Jim Ross stress that two weeks we're going to see them. And all of a sudden, the next week's episode, they're like, well, wait. Like, like, hey, out there, I mean, at the first match, maybe the second match, leading into the second hour, Jim Ross is like, folks, I got word that, you know, they're supposed to show up next week, but I got the word the, the rock and rolls are here. I'm getting rid of the rock and rolls are here. They're going to show up. <coughs> and what a treat for the fans. Like, uh, unbelievable. They, I guess they're, they couldn't wait. They're excited to come back and they're excited to see the fans again. And so. You know, then the top of the hour, they're going to show up. They're going to be here. The rock and rolls. And they start playing the music. You see this car pull up. The camera's focused on it. It's like a limo. They can't see them. The limo doors up, opens up. The camera goes, follow, you know, all these, you know, people, securities around them. And, like, the camera can't really see their faces. And they get ushered in the building. And, like, oh, man, high school, you know, you know. You know, they here they come and they come out and it's the rock and roll RPM spoiling, you know, and they're upset. They're pissed. Like, we saw you, Jim Ross, hyping up the rock and roll. Those guys are fakes. We're the real rock and rolls. We always have been, you know, and then you 
you can kind of, you know, start a feud like with them in the rock and roll RPMs and the rock and roll express. I don't know. I always thought that would be fun. Um, but they were a hell of a team. I thought they were really, really good. Um, they're also one of the highlights of those dreaded, <laughs> dreaded uh, world class in 1987. You know, they were, you know, and I, I, does anyone else remember the rock and roll RPMs? I, I think, you know, that listen to the show. If you do, let me know what you thought. Like, am I, am I the only guy on this island with the rock and roll RPMs? Uh, I would love to hear your thoughts on that. So, number four on my top, uh, top six. Guilty pleasures in pro wrestling is the Rock and Roll RPMs, Mike Davis and Tommy Lane. And number three is a guy that would always put a smile on my face. Bunkhouse Buck. My buddy Tom Caster, if he's listening to this episode, he listens to that. I think he checks in the most of them. He's going to have a smile on his face as well. Because he's also a fan of Bunkhouse Buck. And I'll be honest with you. When Bunkhouse Buck first showed up in WCW in 1994, I wasn't happy because I was a fan of the stud stable. Robert Fuller, Jimmy Golden, when they had also when they had Brian Lee with them, they're all three together. Miss Sylvia. Sylvia, excuse me. Uh, I think that was Robert Fuller's wife at the time. Uh, it was just a hell of a package, right? I just, you know, you had the the two veteran tag teams, tag team guys, Robert Fuller and Jimmy Golden, and you had their this young gun and Brian Lee, and then you had the the female valet with the keto stick, and it was just a cool package. Package. And I mean, when when 1983 when Robert Fuller showed up as Colonel Rob Parker, I was like, why is he just Robert Fuller? Why is he not? Why is he a manager? He should be wrestling. He still can go. But you know, eventually I just got used to it, right? And then in '94, Buckhouse Buck shows up, and I'm like, again, I felt like, oh. That's Jimmy Golden. Why can't they be the studs table? Where's Miss Sylvia? Where's Brian Lee or some other young gun you could throw in there? Like, why, why are they doing this silliness? But quickly, freaking got a kick out of Buckhouse Buck. He really got got this gimmick and, ra- and ran with it. His awesome music. Like like just and he'd come out and he he would do like this little like arm back and forth like and look at the camera and give us this wild and crazy look. And you know, Jimmy Golden is such was such a good worker. And you know, he wasn't being the flashy um bayface Jimmy Golden or even uh the the heel that just, you know, still can do a lot of moves. He's now he's the Buckhouse Buck. He's a is a punch and kick guy, right? And his punches look good, his kicks look good, and he just you know, had the the stir, uh, the stirrups on, and uh, and he had what? Well, not a stirrups, the uh, God. He had jeans, a shirt. He just looked goofy as fuck, and I loved it. I loved, I loved all of it, and his you know his match with uh, Dustin Rhodes. At uh, Spring Stampede '94 was a really good match. Their bull rope match at Stampede '94 was 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 not as good, but still very entertaining. Uh, 
I enjoy that they finally did the stud stable in '94, but you know, I kind of wish Robert Fuller was wrestling and you know as well. But you know, they had a real fun stud stable with uh, Terry Funk, <laughs> Bunkhouse Buck, Arn Anderson, and of course Colonel Rob Parker managing with Ming Hawk slash Haku as his bodyguard. It was a really cool, you know, really cool group in '94. And Buck was just one of the highlights to me. And in 95, they brought Dick Slater in. Every time, you know, Terry Funk, you need a replacement for Terry Funk, it's always Dick Slater, right? Because he's kind of like, you know, you know, Terry Funk light, but still good. I like I like Dick Slater. Jeff Hawkins, I on Twitter as well, we're talking about Dick Slater. And and Jeff Hawkins mentioned how much he loved all the tag teams that Dick Slater's a part of. And I, I, I did too. Like, obviously love the tag team with Bunkhouse Buck. And loved the tag team of um, him and Bob Orton, uh, Bob Orton Jr. Uh, he was talking about uh, uh, Dick Slater and Buzz Sawyer. But, you know, Slater, I always enjoyed his work. I don't, I don't want to knock him, but he was, you know, a, a basically a copycat of Terry Funk. That was his hero, right? Um, but, but Buck and Slater was a fun team. And they won the tag team titles. I remember being super. I'm about that because I love Bunkhouse Buck so much. I was so happy he got a tag team title. Even though it was that crazy time in WCW when they would do like a tag team title switch before, like way before, but tape it and bow backwards. I just I fucking, I don't understand why they did that. Like you didn't have to do that. You don't have to do that. It was because they taped so much in advance and oh God, it was such a mess. But you know, the business didn't die. We got through it, but it was just like embarrassing at the time. At least you know, cause I you know I would see the results, and then I remember what time I wasn't a, a observer subscriber or anything, so I was only like a PWI reader, and they would try to make sense out of it all. It was freaking wild. Uh, but number four, number sorry, number three, Bunkhouse Buck slash Jimmy Golden. My number three wrestling guilty pleasure. Number two, another tag team on this list. Uh, and a tag team that got, gets a lot of flack. Road Warrior knockoffs. And I get it. It's the Powers of Pain, Barbarian, and Warlord. Yes, they were like the Road Warriors. And the Road Warriors are obviously a better team and more popular. But dude, I was such a fan of the Barbarian. And I enjoyed the Warlord. I love the package that they were. The Powers of Pain. That was such a cool freaking name. I freaking just love that name. What an awesome name that it was. And they were fun. You know, Warlord. <laughs> God bless him. You know, he'd come in. He he did. He only did a couple things. It's the only thing he needed, right? He didn't need to do too much. Bear hug and <clears throat> a nice uh, forearm strike to the back. Fold Nelson, the power slam, maybe a, sh- a sh- flying, maybe he'll leave his fleet feet and do a flying shoulder tackle. But the Barbarian was my guy. Love that guy. Um, I thought in some ways he was better than the Road Warriors just because he was just a massive dude. And I love the moves he would do. That big boot, he would just throw it up and just, you know, look like he's cracking guys. Maybe in some cases he did, but I just always got a kick out of that team. And going back in 88, watching their match with the Road Warriors, a lot of fun. The match at the Crockett Cup in 1988 was a lot of fun. Their match with Sting and Luger at the Crockett Cup was a lot of fun. 
And it's unfortunate that, you know, they left Crockett, but I get it. Like, why would they, why are these big two jacked up dudes want to go on the horn doing scaffold matches, right? And not getting any more money for it. It's just was, was, was stupid. So they went to the WWF and it was obviously a better decision for them. And I remember like they showed up and they're baby faces and people were going crazy. And it's almost like they, the fans almost thought they were the road warriors, you know, like well, we got them now, but it was not, it was just the, you know, the power of the pain and they kept their name and they, that they, they came out and, it's so funny because I originally saw the commercial tape of SummerSlam. And the commercial tape of SummerSlam, you know, it, Powers Payne on that pay-per-view wrestled Bolsheviks. And the commercial tape edits it down to like two minutes. And it, it's just the Powers Payne destroying the Bolsheviks and winning quickly, right? But in reality, when I rewatched the live pay-per-view on a, on a, you know, on a friend's tape, it was a longer match. It wasn't that good. It was, you know... And so I, you know, the, they, they got it right with the Coliseum video edit and just had the, the powers of pain just destroy, look like they destroyed the Bolsheviks. Um, but power pains were popular in 88. They had the, the weird Baron Von Raschke as their manager, the Baron that was quickly replaced. I think Tito Santana was the first guy that brought him in to, to, you know, brought him in the counter of the demolition. Right. And they were popular. And all of a sudden they did, they did a double switch and demolition became a faces power of pain you know took on fuji as their manager and in the the biggest bonehead decision in manager manager pro wrestling manager history where why would you give your tag team champions for a team that's not the champions like granted you're trying to be and have confidence in your new team that they're going to win it but it never happened i never i never forget being so pissed off at at uh, Mr. Fuji for losing the match at WrestleMania 5 because I really wanted the Power of Pains to win the tag team titles. Soon after that, I mean, they had, they, Power of Pain had some fun matches, the Rockers. There's a real fun match that's, you know, aired on MSG where Marge Neck takes the, the highest backdrop in, in wrestling history, in my opinion. Um, the stuff with the Bushwhackers, I, I really don't watch because, eh. <laughs> uh, there's a couple fun matches, but they were, they were, entertaining and I, I always wish they won the belts they never did and they split them up uh bobby heaton uh miss fuji sold bobby uh, barbarian to bobby heaton and slick was able to purchase warlord and they changed their looks barbarian became like a barbarian with antlers and furs and the warlord became like mad max-esque but Phantom Operative, you know, thing with the with the, with the, with the with the cane with the big W on it. I mean, I actually thought he looked cool too. And they both had you know solid singles runs in the WWF. And, you know, Barbarian had a lot of fun matches with Bret Hart, and you know, Warlord has his forever feud with Dave Boy Smith. And eventually, you know, Barbarian left, and the Warlord left. I think Warlord just ended. Doing indies and I think it hurt and it was on that Lords of London deal, but Barbarian ended up showing in WCW and you know was built up to face Ron Simmons for the world title, which which you know wasn't really well received because you know the way Barbarian was used for the last few years in WWF, then was looked at him as a main eventer at the time, you know, especially on a pay per view. Uh, but I always liked Barbarian's work. Um, you know, I didn't like the Sioni deal <laughs> with the, the, even though they were a good team. I, I just did. I just, 
I don't know. It just looked weird to me, like seeing him as a Sioni now, you know. Uh, but I did enjoy the faces of the Fear tag team with Ming and, and the Barbarian. They, you know, they teamed up in that really fun match at WrestleMania uh WrestleMania 7 with the Rockers, the opener. Haku and Barbarian versus Rockers. A lot of fun. And they had a nice team in WCW. Ming and Barbarian with a lot of you know fun matches. And they're pretty much well protected and never got to tag team titles. Because, you know, of course, at the time, you know, Hall and Ash were the long-running heel tag team that, you know, was building up forever for Steiners to, to win it. And that was... That took too long and didn't really, really work in my opinion. But you know, Barbarian had a, had a really good career, and um, so I always loved the Powers of Pain. I wish there was more matches of them versus the Rockers on uh, out there on tape. I would love to watch it because they had really good chemistry. The two, two power two power guys or two small guys just it just really worked well. So number two. Guilty pleasure in pro wrestling, the powers of pain. Now, the reason why I decided to talk about that this was going to be the subject of this show was this past weekend, my wife and I watched the Elvis movie. That just came out. Really good. She's a huge Elvis fan and was really hyped to watch this movie. And it was available on HBO Max. We have HBO Max. And we're just like, let's watch it. And it was like, fuck, almost three hours. And we're like, whoa, let's just watch and watch till as much as we can. And we'll just finish tomorrow. But like, it was so good. Like, we probably could have finished that night, but she had a phone call and that kind of knocked our momentum down. And we kind of, you know, picked up the next day. But we really loved that movie. And it was really good. And of course, Elvis got me thinking about my ultimate number one. Pro wrestling guilty pleasure, the honky tonk man. Ugh. I loved his run as the Intercontinental Champion. I love that no one's broke it yet. And I believe Walter, or excuse me, Gunther will be the guy that breaks it. Um and he was just the he was such a great heel. I mean, people he sold out buildings for people to stay. To see him get his ass kicked. He was tremendous. Always got a kick on the singing, the dancing, on the grace of all time. And just loved him. His, you know, the Colonel, Jimmy Hart. And they were just so entertaining. And I always, I always loved watching his matches. I loved his feud with um, Macho Man, of course. That was awesome. Uh he had some fun stuff with uh, Beefcake. And, you know, he was just always, you think he's going to lose. This isn't going to be the guy that beats him. But he just kept retaining it somehow, some way, getting disqualified. And he had a memorable run. And, and I always thought, like, you know, I'm surprised he haven't broke it yet, his record. I'm surprised no one has. So it's gonna be cool to see. I think. Well, I think Gunther is gonna be the guy. Like you just don't. You just just don't take that belt off him. Keep it on there as long as you can because you know you, whoever beats Roman Reigns, you need Walter to be or excuse me, Gunther to be ready for him, right? In my opinion. So I think it's time to break that record, and and uh, and and Gunther is the the best guy to do it, and it will add to his his build, his push. 
and you can always talk about that and then build them up to whoever well, could be the, the guy that knocks off Roman Reigns. Uh, so Honky Tonk Man, even after we lost the Intercontinental title in perfect fashion to the Ultimate Warrior at SummerSlam 88, I love that booking. You had this Honky Tonk Man, this heel, who by hook and by crook has, you know, has retained this Intercontinental title for 18 months. And on one, on the night he loses it, he gets destroyed in seconds. Just to me, poetry, right? Um, and he still had was entertaining. He still, to me, like you know, he was never back in the main event mix because he had a long time, and now it's time to move down the card. I enjoyed. It. I love the shake round roll finisher. Um, I remember the Saturday night's main event in '89 when he had a, a title shot with Hulk Hogan. I was pumped for that match. I'm like, yes, you know, I want a Hulk Hogan win. It was just fun to see, you know, the Honky Tonk Man mixed up with Hulk Hogan on Saturday night's main event. Um, the Rhythm and Blues tag team, yeah, wasn't the high wasn't the high point of my fandom of the Honky Tonk Man. Not for not against nothing against him, but it was the you know seeing Greg Valentine look like Roy Orbison was just. Ugh, embarrassing stuff. You know the Hong Kong was just be Hong Kong man, but Craig Valentine trying to do that deal was just ugh. Just this was not. I'm sure Vince got a kick out of it or whoever did, but it just it just didn't work. Right? They were a good team, just as you know, Craig Hammer Valentine with the blonde hair and Honky Talk Man. They had a fun little match with you know Heart Foundation WrestleMania Five. They're they're a solid heel team. That would be a nice position for them to be in, and that's what they end up being as Rhythm Blues. They just try to give them some, they try to give them some you know some sizzle you know a little bit and freshen them up. But it just sometimes you try to do stuff, it just doesn't work. And that was you know that's what happened with Rhythm Blues. Uh, then he started doing indies and um, he was on. Uh, Gosh, where did he? He's yeah, just bouncing around Indies. I remember they were teasing in I, ICW or IWCCW, the Battle of the Intercontinental Champions. The two greatest Intercontinental Champions, Rick Rue versus Honk Tonk Man. That I think it was like one TV taping they recorded. The this is IWCCW, the uh, Mario Savoldi promotion. Never happened. They just shot an angle promos for it. Never came through with it. But I remember like. PWI covering it, and I was like, oh my gosh, they're going to wrestle. That sounds like a fun match, and it never happened. And then eventually he showed up in WCW in uh, uh, 1994 when Hogan was bringing all his old buddies from from the WWF into WCW, and it just you know, did not work out with Honk Talk Man and Eric Bischoff. They really butted heads. I thought for sure when Honk Talk Man was coming in, he was going to win the WCW TV title for Johnny B. Bad. And I, I'm guessing that was the plan, but event, of course they, you know, Eric Bischoff and Hong Kong Man had a falling out, and then he um, ended up uh, Arn Anderson beating Johnny B. Bad for the for the TV titles soon after Honky Talk uh, left. So I, I'm guessing Honky Talk was was going to get that spot, but whatever, they couldn't come to get money, and Honky Talk was a pain in the ass, and just you know that he got fired. APW. In 1999, booked, look that up, 99 or 2000, booked Honky Tonk Man, and he won the APW title. I wasn't there at the time. This was probably 2000 because I was living in Modesto, and I wasn't going to many APW shows at the time. 
And he won the belt. I forget who he beat. And he <laughs> he never dropped the belt. Never came back. And the belt was vacated. And they had to put it on someone else. I forget who it was. Uh, it might have been Ed Moretti, I believe. or And then he got beat by someone. I'm trying to remember who it was. Maybe Dominic Morgan at the time. It's been such a long time. But, uh, yeah. So, Hong Kong Man came in for a date. Won the belt. And and he never came back and dropped it. And I remember my uh, a buddy of mine who was at the show with Honk Tonk Man. I asked, I was like, hey, how was Honk Tonk Man? He's like, yeah, he was all right. He's, he was fine. He's all, but during the show, you know, he's in the main event going for the title. And there's out there in the middle of the show, standing in line with the, with the fans, getting a Coke and a hot dog. <laughs> I was like, what? No one could go run and get the Honk Tonk Man a Coke and a hot dog? You know, like, just... Just, I wish I was there to see that, you know, but so <laughs> I, and I was bummed. I didn't get the chance to be there at, you know, meet on APW, but apparently they, you know, rolling him had a falling out or in, or Hong Kong man was just blowing him off or, you know, he was doing that, you know, being not committed, you know, he's kind of a pain in the ass apparently, but as a fan, I love the honky talk man and, and, uh, I'm glad I watched that Elvis movie to kind of make me remember good old Honky Tonk Man. And I, Honky Tonk Man, that that gimmick has such a huge influence on me. One of my all-time favorite gimmicks is Honky Tonk Man. Maybe my all-time favorite gimmick, honestly. just Or at least Guilty Pleasure favorite gimmick. gimmick. And I wanted to re, kind of recreate a guy like that when I was booking APW. And there was a gentleman named Perry Von Vicious who's now he's still wrestling in the indies. And he's still, now he's like just trying to be this powerhouse and all this but at the time he was like skinny as a rail you know snobby rich kid and um you know and i thought like he had that like god people just hate this guy instantly and i wanted that that he didn't be my honky talk man i wanted him to win our internet title and hold it for a long time and just like the honky talk man always get disqualified to save it always kind of or win by the skin of his teeth. And I remember I got a lot of heat from that from the boys. The boys were upset. Like, why is he pushing this guy? And, you know, the internet belt is the workers' title. It has to be on workers. The guys that work great matches. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. It has to be on a guy that's going to build interest. And, you know, like I saw in Perry Long Vicious, what, I, what Honky Tonk Man did for the WF is a guy that people want to see someone kick, get his, kick his ass. And that's what I wanted. So, and that's what I saw. It just, at the time, that's when I had my falling out. Not with Roland. I mean, it wasn't, I was just like, Roland wanted to bring on someone who was making a bunch of false promises that I saw he was making false promises. Roland was in a, in a, fi- a struggling financial state and this guy's promising the world, but I knew this guy was a con. And all of a sudden he wanted this guy who's promising all this money to bring in also wants to book da, da, done. and Roland wanted me to work with him as co-worker and I'm just like no fuck that I'm not going to do that you know and of course the guy was a fraud and and you know so that was that but but yeah so I never got to do that with uh, good old Perry Von Vicious I, that, it would have been a fun year I think and it, you know and whoever would have beat him and I 
trying to remember. It's been such a long time who I had an earmark. I mean, I was just trying to see who was going to get hot enough to be the guy that does beat him. Um, but all that was from Honk Tonk, man. All that was from Honk Tonk, man. Just, you know, you, when you book, you're kind of just taking influences from what you watched in the past and you're trying to add your own spin on it. And the Honky Tonk man was a huge influence on me, as, as crazy as it sounds. And um, just entertained me forever and uh, still does. I Even after we watched the Elvis movie, I decided to throw on that Saturday Night's Main event with uh, Honky Tonk Man versus Randy Savage and the, the knockdown of Elizabeth and the, the big old, uh, you know, guitar shot on Randy. Just great stuff. So. I thought this was going to be a little bit short of a show, but it was right, right on time. It was my normal shows, but but I'm glad, you know, glad I got to do it. It was fun. I like doing these fun shows, you know, not just covering a, you know, it's fun to cover indies and, and get frustrated and, and talk trash, I guess, or not really, but, you know, I'm not trying to purposely talk trash. I just, they just are so bad. It's hard not to, but every once in a while, it's fun to do like a show like this. And, and, uh, this is definitely, uh, a perfect time to do it. And I hope you guys enjoyed it. So who are your guilty pleasures in pro wrestling? Who do you, who do people just always give flack to you, but you like, let me know. Send me a, a message on Twitter, Laraka JL. So, you know, love to hear your feedback on it. So again, check out our fight game media plus Patreon, $5 and everyone have a great weekend and be safe. Take care.